the title of this morning's message is To the End. To the end, and a lot of people, when um, they, they hear that, they, they think that their life's about to end. That's really not the case. When you watch all the movies and when, you, when war, soldiers used to go to the war, they would turn and look at each other and say, to the end. And that means, to the end of this fight, we're going to fight this fight of faith. To the end of this fight, we're going to fight on and we're going to go on. Not with the intent of losing their life, but with the intent of gaining, gaining great victory. So at the end of the war, they look at each other again and say, to the end, we made it here. We've defeated the enemy. We've won this great battle, this great victory. Look at somebody on your left or right and say, to the end. Amen. You're not doing this alone. Look at your other neighbor and say, to the end. Amen. Look at the person behind you who's been screaming all morning and say, to the end. We're in this together to the end. We're going to fight this good fight of faith to the end. And it doesn't mean we're dying. It means we're going to live in victory and we're going to live it to the end and watch God do something amazing. This has been such a powerful series because the first three messages we learned about training. We learned that God has specifically trained us in the area of warfare as the body of Christ. And then we learned about the attire, and that's what we're in right now. He didn't just train us properly, but he gave us proper attire. And he gave us attire to face the enemy that we're going to be facing. So he made it specifically designed to defeat the specific enemy that we're going to be facing. The specific enemy that we're facing, we've, we've went over this week after week. It comes in three different terms. His proper name is Satan, and Satan means to accuse or to hate. And I just know that, that whoever held up the sign that said hate and ripped it in half is just like kicking him right in the face and said, no, no more, no more. And, and, and so that is the enemy. That is who he faced. His proper name is Satan. It means to accuse and to hate, and that's what he does to you. He accuses you, and he hates you, and he does it by a method called the devil. The devil, it means diabolos. It means to throw or to hurl at again and again and again, constantly, continually striking again and again and again. And some of you are saying this battle doesn't ever seem to end. Duh, he's the devil. That's what his name means, to do again and again and again. It doesn't stop. It's unrelenting. So don't pray for the battle to get easier. You start training yourself to get stronger to rise up for the task at hand and we attain great victory he does it by his mode of operation as he disguises himself as the angel of light he makes something very negative something very uh, uh, cap captivating captivate us and then he gets us bound by it because it looks so neat and then before we realize it as pleasing as unforgiveness sounds it keeps us in bondage and those of you who've been set free from unforgiveness i believe it's the greatest thing to set you free it begins to start a domino effect of a much greater areas in your life but that's the first one that god says if i can get forgiveness in his life Amen. if i can get forgiveness in her life i fix start changing lives all around so those of you who've been healed of unforgiveness get ready there's going to be a lot more strongholds that are just falling by the wayside and you're going to be continue to be set free from them even this morning and so that's how he does it his name is satan his mode of operation uh or his work is the devil his mode of operation is he disguises himself as the angel of light and so as we come into this scripture talking about to the end and everything that's going on it's time for us to be battle ready in every situation and i've emphasized two things when we were reading that scripture and it says finally when we start out in verse number 10 it says finally so this are the final thoughts on the whole book of Ephesians. And so when he says finally, it means I'm getting to the end of not just this chapter, but this book. He said finally, so that means go back and read the first five books, number one. Number two, it means finally, he's putting great emphasis and says this is how we're going to do the first five chapters of this book. So finally, and then at the very end, he puts to the end. 
to the end was how we're going to do it. This is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it to the end. We're going to fight this battle. But in the midst of that, in those uh, eight verses that we read about, he, he emphasizes twice, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. You even repeated it this morning. You said whole armor twice just because I asked you to, and I thank you for having that much faith in me just to repeat something because I asked you to. And he said whole armor twice. The problem is any historian that you talk to who studies Roman history and Roman culture will tell you that there were not six pieces to the armor that a Roman soldier wore. There were always seven. There were always seven. But how come Paul only mentions six, or does he mention a seven and just didn't give it a specific name? Because we got to realize he did not give us a belt, he gave us truth. He did not give us a breastplate, he gave us righteousness that works as a breastplate. He did not give us uh, the, the shoes for our, our feet. He gave us peace that work like shoes. He did not give us a helmet. He gave us salvation that works like a helmet. He did not give us a shield. He gave us faith that works like a shield. He did not give us a sword. He gave us his rhema revealed word that works like a sword. And so he says, finally, to this end, pray. The seven, amen, give God a hand clap. The seventh piece. Of the armor of God is something that I like, call, like to call the spear of prayer or the lance of prayer. And we're going to talk a little bit about the spear of prayer because in this, the, the, the sword was used for hand-to-hand -hand combat and attaining and maintaining great victory. But the spear was used for advancing the army forward into another kingdom. Prayer will advance the kingdom of God like it's supposed to be advancing. It is prayer that will get us to the next step. It is prayer that will make the kingdom of God begin to flourish. It is prayer that will begin to move the kingdom of God forward. This is why Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. And so today, as we take up this spear of prayer, we're going to find out how powerful and how effective this one device was for the Roman soldier. This device was so powerful and it's so effective that it was literally what they used to advance the army, to help them march forward and conquer and take new territory. How many of you want to go take new territory in your own life? Get to where God's called you to be in your own life. Get your family to where God's called your family to be in your own life. And let's take this, let's advance this for the kingdom of God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, or says suffered violently, but the violent, that's us, take it by force. Some of you are like, that doesn't sound like Jesus. I don't know what Jesus you've been reading about, but Jesus was on a mission. He was on a vendetta. He did not come to start a religion. He came to build a kingdom. That's what he came to do. And a kingdom affects every area of your life. Socially, mentally, emotionally, financially, governmentally, spiritually, everything. He came to do a whole transformation. He didn't come to start Christianity. He came to establish a kingdom. And so as we move forward, we are going to establish the kingdom of God today. And as we begin to talk about this spear, this spear um, uh, of prayer... There were several different kinds of spears used throughout the, the Roman history. The main one that they used during the time of Paul was six to eight feet tall. It was six to eight feet tall, and it was one of the most powerful weapons that they had. As the spear was six to eight feet tall, the sword was 19 inches long. You can advance far greater and move far more rapidly against an adversary by using the spear rather than the sword. The sword was for close, intimate, hand-to-hand -hand contact. The spear is what you would use when you were chasing somebody down, advancing. And so as we pick up this spear of prayer, we are going to advance the kingdom of God. The spear was six to eight feet tall. Some of the Macedonian spears were recorded as using spears some 21 to 24 feet in length. 
21 to 24 feet in length. How many of you would like to keep the enemy at a 24-foot uh, boundary line? You just He can't even get near you within your 24-foot radius. It's where the Bible says a 1,000 may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it ain't coming near me. <laughs> it's not coming near me. And you begin to build that perimeter as you advance the kingdom of God, and the enemy's 24 feet away, and you're just killing him. I mean, you're just killing him. And some of you in your life are saying, oh my gosh, I wish I could do that. You can. We're going to teach you how to today by having the proper attire on. This weapon was far reaching. And this weapon could be thrown with great precision and great accuracy. So even if the spear was 24 foot long, the Roman spear that was 6 to 8 feet long was much more, much more um, deadly than the 24 foot long one. Because this 6 to 8 foot spear worked a lot like a javelin that they throw in the Olympics. And they could throw it with great precision and great accuracy 50 to 60 yards and just launch it and begin to pick off the enemy from a distance. See, some of y'all need to start picking off the enemy of your kids from a distance. You need to start praying over your kids now so the, the enemy doesn't even get near them. Start picking them off from a distance. I told you a couple weeks ago in my testimony that I didn't even have a chance to be bad because they were picking off my enemy from a distance. My grandmothers were praying. My mamas were praying. My dads were praying. My granddaddies were praying. And Joel didn't have a, a chance to even go with the enemy because they were picking him off at a distance. This prayer works just like a javelin or a spear that you can launch with great accuracy and great precision. They would take down the enemy. The tip of the spear was weighted, and it was, and it was so weighted and so balanced that the tip of the spear was heavy enough and so balanced that when it hit, it would cause for maximum penetration, and it would literally knock the enemy off their feet as they would advance forward. How many of y'all would like that in your, in your financial life? Just knocking the enemy off his feet so you can continue to advance forward. It's an amazing thing what we do when we begin to pray as we begin to advance the kingdom of God. And they could establish territory with the lance or the spear far easier than they could with the sword. And they could conquer a great amount of land and take over kingdom after kingdom with this spear. Today, the body of Christ, the seventh piece of our armor, just because Paul didn't say it's the spear of prayer, literally this is the seventh piece of armor that God intended us to use for accuracy, for precision, to advance the kingdom of God to a whole nother level. Are you with me this morning on this thing called prayer? So he didn't give us a spear, he gave us prayer that we advance the kingdom of God with prayer. And it's a powerful thing that we need to begin to adopt and to establish in our life. And so as we begin on this area called prayer, remember this, the sword will give you victory, but the prayer, the, the spear of prayer will advance the kingdom of God forward. And the Bible starts out in verse 18, it says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. This term all prayer in the Greek literally means this, it means all kinds of prayer, all kinds of prayer. And the term prayer in the Greek literally means face-to-face -face or eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball conversation with somebody. Face-to-face -face or eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball conversation with somebody. And so many of you, the reason why we have not established kingdom territory or kingdom territory in your life is because you've been approaching the one who is the commander-in-chief of our army, God Almighty. You've been approaching him wrong. Okay? You've been approaching him with fear. You've been approaching him with timidity. You've been approaching him with, oh God, if it be thy will. Oh God, I just, I, I'm going through some sickness. And God, if it's your will. When prayer means face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball conversation with somebody. 
See, any soldier in the army, when they had the respect or the authority of the ones over them, would have no issues walking up to their superior and looking at them face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and saying, we've got to talk about the battle at hand. And God wants you as a believer to approach him. This is what it means. Approach the throne of grace, not wrath, the throne of grace with great boldness. Face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball conversation. Because God has called you sons and he has called you daughters. There's such a key in that because in the Jewish culture, if you were being raised, you were not called a son until you were mature, mature at the age of maturity or truly have proven yourself responsible to handle the affairs of the family. Then you were considered a son until then you were treated as a slave. So when he said, today I have called you sons, Today I have called you daughters. He's saying, you have reached a level of maturity, David, that you can come talk to me on the family affairs or the business affairs, eyeball to eyeball, face to face, and let's talk about this. Bible says in Isaiah, come, let us reason together. And listen, reason together doesn't mean God wants your opinions. He said, come listen to my reasonings for why I'm doing what it, right? Because if you've been reading the Bible, you're going to quickly put your opinions aside. (laughs) Right, And so as we do this, I need you to understand that this spear of prayer means eye-to-eye, eyeball-to-eyeball, face-to-face conversation with God. It doesn't mean getting in God's face disrespectfully. It means approaching the throne of grace because you know who he is with great confidence that when you pray to him, he hears you. And many of us have been approaching the throne of grace with a beggar's mentality in a poverty mindset of, oh, God, just, just help me get through this. God said, well, who are you talking to? Yeah. That's right. You don't approach him like that. Uh, we got something that we do at our house. When our kids come whining to us, we're like, uh-uh, talk. Talk. Right? I mean, they're five. They can speak in complete sentences. That's right. Talk to me. I'm your daddy. What do you need? Uh-huh. And then they'll... <laughs> Dad, can I have some candy? Sure you can. <laughs> right? We approach God the same way. We approach him with this broke down, beat up, poverty mindset of, oh God, if, it, if it's just your will, if you don't understand. Huh? What? God's saying, are you a son who understands my business affairs, or do I need to still treat you like a child? Prayer means face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball conversation with your superior. Today, I want you to understand that we approach God for a true adult conversation. We are in his army. We march forward with his favor, with his blessing, and he wants us to be empowered. And so today, as we, I'm going to quickly run through six different types of prayer this morning, and we're going to do it face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball with God. The first type of prayer I want to talk to you about is the prayer of consecration, committing your life or submitting your life to the will of God. The prayer of consecration, committing and submitting your life to the will of God. Everybody always says this, Joel, I want to be in God's perfect will. Good, then talk to him. Have him tell you what he wants you to do. How do I do that? Talk to him. He'll tell you what he wants you to do. But I don't understand. What don't you understand? You talk all the time. (laughs) Right? Just do it to him and not your friend. Come on. Talk to him. Consecrating your will and your life to the will of God. 
That means he's going to tell you to move forward sometimes when you don't feel like it and don't want to. He's going to tell me this is the hardest thing for me. The hardest thing for me is not when God says, Joel, start something. It's when he says, Joel, you need to rest. And I'm like, what you talking about, God? We got this thing. He says, rest. <laughs> but I don't want to. Rest. Trying to put my, God trying to put his kid down for a nap, and I'm complaining. <laughs> I mean, you, you see what I'm talking about? And then he says, move forward. And then sometimes you don't want to. He says, rest. And sometimes he says, stand your ground. And you're consecrating your will to the will of God. Take this very lightly, this analogy that I'm about to give you. Um, have you ever seen a person who cannot see have a seeing eye dog? And they have to completely trust the eyes of something else because they literally can't see what's about to happen. And they know if that dog stops and lays down, they stop immediately. Because if they go on without the leading of their eyes, that they're going to have something in their life interrupted or something that could possibly in their life happen. And it's the same thing with the eyes of God. God can see over the mountain that you're looking at. And when you're not getting over the mountain as quick as you think you should, God could be saying, it's time to hold back just for a second because over that mountain, if you let something go by that could interrupt or even end your life, I got great victories ahead of you. Listen to my sight. Praying your will or your life into the will of God is trusting his sight, not yours. You want to jump into this new business venture and God says, don't do it. But God, it's, it's a sure thing. You don't know what I see the economy doing over this next mountain. Okay? Or God says, jump out and do this by faith. And you say, God, but I don't really have the resources or the finances. He says, you better do it now because you don't know what's over this next mountain that I'm fixing to change your world with. Consecrating your life, the prayer of consecration, submitting your life to the will of God. And y'all, I'm not going to play. That's uncomfortable sometimes. Sometimes God tells me to say stuff up here. I'm like, I don't want to say that. I don't like saying that. God says, I don't care. <laughs> Say it anyway. Because somebody else's life depends on it. And so in this process, submit your life to the will of God. Also, the prayer of petition. What do you have that you're in need of? What do you have that you're in need of? The prayer of petition. God says, ask anything you wish or you need, and I'll make sure it happens. Because remember, you're not going to him as a whiny kid wanting candy before dinner time. You're going to him as a soldier in the army who understands the father's affairs. And many times we approach God as weak and sick and broken down and poverty-minded and nothing like that has ever conquered anything. It's never conquered anything. But if we approach God with a spirit and attitude of faith and we understand his word and his will for our life, God will give us what we need for the moments at hand and he will expand his kingdom through us. Some of you are praying for ministry opportunities. Good, keep praying. He's going to give you ministry opportunities. Get them. Start moving forward. Start advancing. Some of you are in need of a financial breakthrough. And you're saying, God, I need a financial breakthrough. And he's saying, just tithe. Because here's the, here's the thing about consecrating yourself to the will of God. When you consecrate yourself to his will, he'll begin to meet your needs. But if you go against his will, and his will is his word, your needs are automatically not going to be met. So you can pray all day, but if you, um, if you disobey the, the, the ordinance of his word, the laws of his word, it, you're missing it. You're not going to get it. Consecrating your life means submitting to his word, submitting to his voice, so his will begins to take place, so all your needs are already met according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will meet them. He'll do it. The prayer of petition, uh, prayer of consecration, the prayer of petition, and now we have the prayer of faith or the prayer of authority. This is asking with authority. 
This, now, 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 I want to make this real clear, because there's a lot of things that go on in, on television ministries that give things uh, uh, a misperceived name. I'm not going to say a bad name, it's just you don't see everything that goes on. You see a 30-minute clip of a service that lasted two and a half hours, right? Uh, okay, some people could see the video of me preaching right now thinking, what is he so hyped up about? They didn't see the testimonies, okay? And so, and, and so the, this thing called the prayer of faith or the prayer of authority has been greatly misconstrued because it's not demanding something from God. God's already done what he's going to do. Your healing's already been paid for on the cross of Calvary. He did it 2,000 years ago. By his stripes ye were healed, it says it in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.24, you were healed. It's already done. By his stripes it's already been accomplished. And so what it is, it's not putting a demand on God to heal you. It's putting a demand on your faith to believe in God and his healing. So it changes. You're not barking orders at God. You're literally saying, soldier, rise up to who you're called to be. So the prayer of faith is putting a demand on you and your faith, not on God, because God's already done what he's going to do. The prayer of thanksgiving, I love this one. This is my favorite one. Sentiments that flow freely out of the heart in response to something or to someone for or about something or someone. Sentiments that flow freely from the heart. And you know, you don't have to go to God with an agenda every time you go to him. Sometimes you just want to go sit with God because you just want to go sit with God because it's better up there. <laughs> right? If you need a break from here, go sit with him. <laughs> right? Go sit with him. I'll never forget a couple weeks ago, this is, this is a statement that changed my life. It's... um. I came into the house, and my son said, Daddy, are you home from work? And I'm like, no, son, I'm going to have to go back to work. And he said, Daddy, I miss you. I looked at my wife and said, everything about my schedule changes. Everything changes from this moment on. And then a few days later, he, I came home, and he said, Daddy, are you home from work? And I said, yeah, I'm home. He said, can I just sit with you? Can I just sit with you? That is what God wants in prayers of thanksgiving. For us to just Come, sit with him. Just sit with him. No agendas. Have a cup of coffee. Talk to him about your day. He doesn't want, listen, ladies, let me, let me tell you this, ladies. God is perfect. And that man that you just want to sit there and listen to you and he starts telling you how to fix everything that you don't want to know how to fix it, you just want to talk to, that's God, not me. Right? All the men said, amen, thank you, Jesus. And men, the women that just in your life that just say, oh, just tell me about your day and, and you don't want to talk, you just want to sit there because that's quality time for you and not talk. God's your God. <laughs> He'll sit there and just, y'all can just sit there and say nothing for an hour and just sit there and you'll have the greatest time ever. Men can get together, watch a football game, say three words, and it is the time of our life. <laughs> what'd you do? You tell, you tell you, what'd you do? Nothing. What, what do you mean? We did nothing. No, no, really, what would you? No, nothing. N-O-T-H-I, no thing. You couldn't be able to about nothing. We did it, we did nothing. God is your God. You could sit with him and do nothing and just be in his presence and let his presence wash over you and overflow on you because it's better up there. Ladies, if you want to talk and pour your heart out, go do it. Get you a bubble bath and start talking. He's there. And God wants prayers of thanksgiving because he just wants to you to come sit with him. And he wants you to come sit with him because, like I said, it's better up there. He'll come sit with you in your pity party, but if he can get you up there with him, it's better up there. 
You've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. So hit that heavenly place as much as you can and sit, stay seated up there. The prayers of thanksgiving, sentiments that flow freely from the heart for God. The prayer of supplication. To come into his presence with simple childlike faith. To come into his presence with simple childlike faith. Whether it's praying for yourself or someone else, you just approach it like you did your parents when you needed something. Or when, when you, when, it's just like when you go to, if, if you've deposited the right amount of money in a bank, okay, right, and you're not overdrawn, you can literally go to the bank expecting that money to be there with that simple faith of it's there, I know it's there because God put it there so I can go there and get it. It's that simple faith because you know it's already done through Jesus. You can approach it and just get it. It's a simple prayer of supplication that begins to take place. It's simple, going to him with childlike faith. And then the prayer of intercession. This is a prayer for someone else. Literally, it means this, to fall in a cave or a pit or a hole on behalf of someone else. Intercession is praying for someone else. This term is used only in the context of, listen, the Holy Spirit. A lot of you have messed up intercession because you think it's you doing it and no, it's the Holy Spirit doing it. He's just using you as a vessel. It's the Holy Spirit who falls into the hole and rescues somebody, not you. Right? It's not your job to go to the bar and get everybody else out of the bar. Right? You pray and the Holy Spirit falls in the hole so that person doesn't. Listen, I'll prove it to you in Scripture. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. What we can't do, He can is what it's saying. For we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit does the interceding, but He does it through you. You don't know how to pray for somebody? Begin to pray and let the Holy Spirit begin to intercede through you and praying for somebody. A lot of people are burdened down carrying the burdens of their spouse or the burdens of their family or the burdens of this or that thing. If I could just do this more, if I could just pray more or pray harder or more, 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 you're getting to a religious works mindset when the Holy Spirit says, if you'll just open yourself up, I'll pray through you what needs to be prayed and I'll do the interceding. I just need your body and your voice. And listen, that literally takes all the pressure off you. So the person you've been praying for and you've been so broken heart over, give them back to God and you just begin to celebrate. Give them back to God and begin to celebrate. Now I do understand intercession and sometimes your heart will be so grieved because you see somebody going through something and that is very biblical, but it doesn't mean that you hang on to their depression forever. It means he's trying to let you understand what they're going through so the spirit can pray properly, but don't hang on to their depression. Don't hang on to their battle. Give it back to God because you're free, Remember? And Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's simply you being there and being available. That's what intercession is. And so as we go into this final part of the spear of prayer, the Bible says this, and with all kinds of prayer, pray in the Spirit, making all prayers and supplication. Pray in the Spirit, and I'm not going to tiptoe around this issue. I'm not going to be silent about this issue. I'm not going to be uh, standoffish about this issue. We do believe at the Way Bible Church in praying in the Holy Spirit, in the private gift of tongues and grace, and the public gift of prayer and interpretation. We believe in it all. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That's why we're called the Way Bible Church. We believe in it all. We do not believe in the cessationist theology that the gifts have passed away. We believe they are active now and will be forever more until the return of Christ. 
And so if God wants us to go take uh, the kingdom and expand the kingdom like never before, why would he take away all our gifts and abilities to do it? We're going to expand the kingdom. We're going to do it. And so over the next five minutes, seven minutes, I'm going to tell you about what we believe about the gift of tongues and interpretation. We call it the private grace of your prayer language and the public gift of tongues and interpretation. Are you ready? Say, I'm there. there. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love. (laughs) Really, it didn't say speak in tongues. It said pursue love. Some of y'all got to get past this whole issue. Pursue love. I hear people saying all the time with everything going on with ISIS that, oh my goodness, we should just go over there and bomb them and blow them up and destroy them all and kill them all. Pursue love. See, a children's director at another church posted this on Facebook, Transform My Life, and she said, you know, Saul was ISIS before he came, became Paul. And if Saul was ISIS before he became Paul, what could God do with the transformed mentality of ISIS that have all the qualities right but the wrong motivation and they're led by the wrong spirit see isis is spelled i-s-i-s is is it would be spelled was was if we'd pray for him you get that it'd be spelled was was if we'd pray for him because there'd be no more isis it'd be a born-again kingdom moving forward advancing the gospel of jesus christ so let's begin to pray for our enemies it says pursue love And also desire spiritual gifts. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks out mysteries. He he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Everybody say amen. Amen. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Everybody say oh yeah. yeah. I wish all of you spoke with tongues. I I mean it, it says it right there. Paul says I wish all of you would do this. But even more than doing that I want you to prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless he indeed interprets that is what the church, that the church may be, be edified. I want to tell you about the private grace of your prayer language, and I do it all the time. I do it in every service that I'm in, whether it's Sunday morning, a Sunday night, or Wednesday night. I pray in my prayer language all the time. And what I do on Sunday mornings, it's not so much preaching as it is prophesying. If you're studying out New Testament prophecy, what I do on Sunday mornings is more prophetic than it ever is preaching. Okay? I want to advance the kingdom. The Bible says, I want you to pray in tongues, but I want you, Joel, to prophesy. And so if you like what I say on Sunday mornings, it's because I've been in my prayer language praying in tongues all week long to give you what you get here. Now listen, he says, I want all of you to do this so that the church may receive edification. And it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? It's a, people are like, it's a quandary. What do we do? I will pray with my spirit, and I will also pray with my mind and understanding. I will sing in the spirit with my spirit. I will also sing with my mind and with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, he who occupies the place of the uninformed, how are they ever going to say amen and give thanks with you since he doesn't understand what you're saying? For if you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, I'm going to tell you every Sunday morning that that I do pray in tongues. I do uh, go before God in my private grace of a prayer language. And I want to encourage you in this. If you love what we do here at the Way Bible Church, and you've loved it here up until I just said that, right? Go by the fruit that you see being produced, not by what you've known in the past. Okay? 
Because here's the thing. You were never offended by anything I've done. Well, I say that. <laughs> Most of you are never offended by anything I've done in the service because you keep coming back until just now when I said that, and you're like, oh, Lord, I didn't know he was like that. I just thought he had charisma. Charisma means grace, gift, or gift of grace. Charismatic comes from the word charisma. It means gifted of grace or grace gift. If they call us a charismatic church, good. It means we're gifted with the grace of God. So there's nothing wrong with that term. In this, if I have, if you haven't heard me doing it before, if I haven't freaked you out before, if I haven't, if you hadn't been uh, shaken by anything before until I just said that, then you have no reason to worry about being shaken at the next service you come to. Because even though we do believe in tongues and we do believe in the gift of tongues and interpretation, we also believe in something that I am big on. It's called decency and in order. Right? That's why from somebody who came in for the very first time, unless the Spirit of God lays on me heavenly, let them give a testimony. I don't let every Tom, Dick, and Harry jump up here and grab the mic and go off for 30 minutes. Decency and in order. We will continue to do things decency and in order. There will be order and structure to a service. And we're going to watch God do amazing things. So here's the thing about a prayer language. The prayer language is like something that um, you would have in a, in a benefits package at work. It is a benefit, the Bible says. If you don't use it, you just don't get the benefit of it. It doesn't mean you're fired. Or it doesn't mean you're not saved. If you just don't use it, you just don't get the benefit of it. If you don't use your vacation days, you just don't go on a vacation. Right? And then you build them up to the end of your life, and then you think, dang, I should have did this a long time ago. You get to heaven, you're thinking, dang, I should have did this on earth. Right? And so in this process, understand that this gift that God has given you is an amazing thing. The first thing it says, you who speak in a tongue, you do not speak to men, but to God. So all these six things that we just said about prayer, you do them in the spirit and you do it, you're talking to God. And we just said, how many of y'all just love to sit there and hang out with God? All you ladies really like, yes, he'll listen to me. All you men are like, yes, I don't have to say nothing, just be in his presence. It's what we're talking about. You get to spend time with God in prayer. He goes on to say, um, it speaks out great mysteries. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says in John 14, he says, I will tell you things to come. Okay, how is he going to do it? He's going to do it by when you pray in your prayer language and you don't know what to pray and the Spirit begins to speak through you. He'll begin to reveal to you things that are just over that mountain that I was talking about. And they're just over that mountain. Here's the thing. A lot of you, when you give me a call, you say, Pastor, we got to get together. And I'm like, yeah, let's get together. What, do you want? what are we talking about? Well, I'll just talk to you about it when we get there. And I'm like, how unfair is that? You guys come in loaded with guns a-blazing. And I have no clue what you're wanting to talk about. So when you hang up the phone because you hadn't told me what you want to talk about, I say, God, what do they want to talk about? 99% of the time, if I'm right with God, it's 100% of the time, but so I say 99% of the time, he tells me exactly what the conversation we're going to have is about. He does it. He tells me what we're going to talk about. You mean God's going to tell you everything about my life? No. Because you set up the appointment, you gave me authority into that time slot of your life that you're wanting to deal with, and so he can then reveal to me what you're going through in that area of what you're wanting to talk about. He's not telling me every sin that you've done when I'm up here preaching. <laughs> right? If he did, I couldn't encourage and edify. I'd be like, oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> right? So he will tell you things to come. Listen to this, parents. You, want, you got authority over your children until they move out of your house? You want to know what your babies are up to Friday night? You should start praying. And they walk in the house 
What'd you do? To, what'd you do tonight? Oh, we just went to the movies. No, you didn't. The Holy Spirit told me to ping your phone. I know exactly where you were at, right? I'm telling you, he'll tell you things to come. It's a blessing from God. It's a gift. It's a benefit. Use it. He who speaks in a tongue, I love this one, builds up or edifies himself. Many of you come Sunday after Sunday and say, oh, I can't wait for a word from the pastor. Don't wait for a word then. Go get one yourself. I mean, just go get it. God's got more than enough to meet all your needs and to do it simultaneously and all at once and take care of all of our needs. Why are you waiting on for what I got to say that's in human form when he can just drop it into your spirit and you get a word and you can come into church excited rather than wait till we have to get you excited. He edifies himself. He builds up himself. David, the Bible says in the Old Testament, without the Holy Spirit, it wasn't in him, it was on him, it wasn't in him. It says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Sometimes you just got to build up your own faith and encourage yourself. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible to those who believe. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer. Everything my hand touches prospers in the name of Jesus. I mean, I got to say this stuff to myself all the time. And watch how God begins to work. Don't wait on me to give you a word. Go get one. Build up yourself. Edify yourself. That's what happens in this private grace gift of tongues now let's talk about the public gift of tongues we talked about what will i do i will pray with my spirit but i'll also pray with my mind and it goes on it says and then it goes on to say i thank god that i speak in tongues more than all of you but i would in the church rather speak five words in order of instructions than ten words in an unknown tongue and so as we talk about all these things as we go into the public grace or the public gift of gift of tongues and interpretation um understand that all the same areas apply as it was, you weren't speaking to men but to God in the church. It's the same thing. We're speaking to God, not to men. It utters out mysteries on behalf of the body of Christ. Okay? Uh, we severely prayed over all these testimonies that were going to be up here because we believed that these testimonies weren't just going to be a celebration time. They were going to be setting you free. Okay? We prayed about it. We began to see uh, mysteries uttered out. How do you think God gives us vision for the upcoming year? It's not just like, oh, here's your vision. No, you pray about it as corporate, as the church, as the leadership. We pray about it. We intercede on behalf of the church for the vision. And God begins to utter out mysteries to us and show us what we're going to be facing and conquering over the next year. The greatest thing is about tongues and interpretation with the church is it's a benefit for the church. It's a benefit for the church. Remember how I said you, you would love to just pick the enemy off by throwing that spear way out there and just knock him off before it gets here and advance the kingdom? That is what prayer does. That is how prayer operates. And Paul says, uh, and pray in the spirit with all these prayers for all the saints. For all the saints. And as we talk about um, the, the public gift, all three of the same areas apply except you change for yourself into the church. But notice when it talks about um, interpretation. Gift of tongues and interpretation. It says interpretation, not translation. Interpretation, not translation. Translation means word for words translating what's being said. When, when I buy a copy of the Bible, I buy the ESV version of the Bible because I believe it is the most accurate word for word translation from the original manuscripts that's out there. You can argue with me all day long. ASV, NKJV, whatever you want to. Pick the Bible that God tells you to pick. I'm just telling you why I pick my Bible, okay? And eventually, as you read it up here and up there, you're going to be tired of using a different Bible than all of us. And many of you said, Pastor, what Bible do you use? And I tell you, go, go pick out your own Bible. But I want word-for-word -word translation, not somebody else's interpretation. 
I'm not dumb. I can think for myself. I can hear God for myself. I don't want what somebody else thought God was saying in there to tell me what was said. I want to read what God said and go to God and say, God, tell me what this means. And then show me how to back it up doctrinally and theologically. Okay? So I want translation. Now, interpretation is this. It expresses the heart and the thoughts of what was said. That means a tongue can be about two words and a 20-minute interpretation, which is usually what happens when I pray about a message. God drops it in my spirit in about 10 seconds, and it takes me about eight hours to hash it out. <laughs> Literally, that's how it happens. And so a two-second drop is an eight-hour translation or, or interpretation. Or it could be just the opposite. It could be a long tongue and a two-word and, and two uh, um, uh, interpretation. It could be a, a, a five-minute prayer in tongue, and then the other one is, you're free. That was the interpretation. <laughs> it could be that simple. The key to this is, is prayer, the spirit of prayer advances the kingdom. We must begin to pray. And listen, Paul said it right here. For if I pray in a tongue, you choose to do it. So if you choose not to do it, you're not going to hell. You're not that you're not saved. You're just missing a benefit. Okay? Paul says, if I do it. So you don't have to worry about being on the third aisle of Walmart in the dog food section and the Spirit of God coming on you and you start going off in tongues. Right? You don't have to worry about that because it's a choice if you do it or if you don't do it. It's a choice. Now, you may be in the third aisle of Walmart and the Spirit of God come on you and you begin to pray in the Spirit. And then I walk around the corner and see you, and that's why. I'm just playing. Some of y'all are like, right? Some of y'all are just kidding. Just grab it. You'll catch it before you leave, okay? And it should be the same thing. I hope that there's such a kindred spirit that when I'm on another aisle and you're on another, you're like, ooh, there's a believer around here. Come on, now there's some faith in this aisle. I mean, why not? That'd be fun. So it's a choice if you do it or if you don't. I want to encourage you guys, even in your base groups tonight as you discuss this, Prayer is an amazing part of the armor of God. If we as a church do not pray and continually pray and pray on all fronts with our mind and in the spirit, we're going to be losing this battle. So it's time that we begin to pray with our mind and in the spirit of God. And the spirit of God that goes before us means that we are led by the spirit of God. And as the spirit of prayer, the Holy Spirit goes before us, it's leading us. And we always pray, oh God, I want to be led by the Spirit. Well, praying means you are being led by the Spirit. And it directs you where you're going. Here's the thing. If you're praying to be led by the Spirit, don't make Him drag you. If you're praying to be led by the Spirit of God, don't make Him drag you. I'll say it one more time. If you're praying to be led by the Spirit of God, don't make Him drag you. If the Spirit is leading you, don't sit there with your hands clenched on the pew in front of you. If the Spirit is telling you at your workplace, go pray, and you sit in your chair, I've got to finish this work, God, i got to finish you won't, you won't be fruitful at your work for the next 30 minutes until you go pray. I'm just saying I've done it. It's miserable until you submit, right? And so if you're asking, God, lead me by your Spirit, it means you're willing to follow. Don't make him drag you. Don't make him drag you. In just a few minutes, some of you guys came in here praying this morning, God, do something in my family, do something in my life. In just a minute, he's about to do something. Don't make him drag you. Don't make him do it. Because I truly believe this, it grieves the heart more than anything, that heart of God more than anything, that we pray, oh God, do something amazing, and then we hinder the amazing. 
oh God, do something miraculous, and then we hinder the miracle because he says, I'm leading, but you're not following. Why well, can't continue to drag? Because the issue is God won't drag. The Holy Spirit will stop. And I don't know about you, but I don't want the movement of the Holy Spirit to stop in this church. And think about it is, as the Spirit of God moves on, if he finds himself dragging you, literally, you're lagging out of the will of God. And because you haven't been praying, staying in, being led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to find yourself out of it, and then the enemy's going to come and attack, and then you're going to start praying <laughs> to get back in the will of God. So in this process, just don't quit praying. <laughs> and don't quit walking. If he's leading you this morning, let him lead you.